Hello and welcome to this episode of Box Office Quarterbacks, a special one. Actually, we're going to be doing a nerd shit um, version of this podcast today with Moon Knight and a little bit of Thor. Moon Knight, we're talking the last two episodes, especially episode four, which just dropped uh, within the past day of this recording. Let's just say, I mean, just be straight up with it. It was a mindfuck, right? I mean, that thing ended with some crazy stuff that I don't know if anybody knows what to trust. But um, I'm here with my two good friends, Jeff and Eric. Guys, what did y'all think of this episode, Eric? I know it's fresh in your mind. So, yeah, Gerald, I I had just finished this episode about 10, 15 minutes before we started recording. And, I, you know, I thought, oh, it's a good idea. You know, I hadn't watched it. I, I could go into this. We could go. In, I could go into this discussion with fresh ideas, fresh thoughts, fresh takes. But honestly, this episode is trippy. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around what I just watched. The only thing that I could stand on solid ground saying is that I feel we're getting a third personality. That's the only thing I could say um, this episode that I took out from it without the Easter eggs, without everything else, is that there is a third personality. It has been almost confirmed. What about you guys? Yeah, Jake Lockley is definitely the third personality locked in that sarcophagus or whatever, the mummy's tomb in the mental asylum at the end. This episode reminded me a lot of the movie Shutter Island, which is, you know, the first half of that movie. You think Leonardo DiCaprio is this guy investigating a mental asylum only to learn that he is actually a patient in the mental asylum. If you haven't seen Shutter Island, that movie's been out for 12 years. I'm sorry, but (laughs) crazy. It's a crazy twist. It's messing with your head. Like Gerald said, almost like how WandaVision did throughout that entire series. Episode four of Moon Knight is my favorite episode of the series so far. And I loved episode three. Yeah, no, I think we've also had Jake Lockley confirmed um, in a previous episode. I want to say it was episode three, actually, um, where Stephen blacks out. And when he wakes up, he's holding a knife and he had just killed a man. And when he asked Mark in the in the mirror and he says, like, what did you do? What did you do? And Mark says, it wasn't me. Um, I think that was already hinting toward this. But I definitely like like you said, the definite confirmation was with that um, tomb that was in there. A lot of great things, though. I want to start on the first half of this episode, though, whenever um, our actually go to episode three. How did you guys like the way they turned back the sky? And what do you think Dr. Strange was saying when he saw that shit? It's like that meme from Grand Theft Auto is, oh, shit, here we go again. Uh, That's kind of what Dr. Strange is probably experiencing at that point. That scene in particular at the end of episode three was just a beautiful scene to watch, honestly. Just everything about it. You have Mr. Knight turning back the sky. Conchu is just this crazy looming presence. I liked episode three a lot, especially when they're in that compound uh, before that. And we have that fight scene when Moon Knight's taking out all these mercenaries when they're trying to get that shroud off of that tomb. I really like that. The only misstep of episode three, I thought, was the uh, court scene in the Great Pyramid. I thought it was a little funny when Conchu was talking through Mark. That was my only gripe, though. Yeah, that court scene wasn't my favorite. It just, 
it, it seemed weird that gods would literally just not listen to another god about something this dire. Yeah, all, all the gods had to do was literally go outside and see, hey, he's telling the truth, which didn't make any sense. And if they're gods, uh, yeah, and if there's gods and they're all knowing and they're so smart, couldn't they tell Hera was lying? Like, that, yeah, that scene didn't really make any sense to me. But the thing about Moon Knight, though, in these, especially in these last two episodes, um, with the Easter eggs and the clues that we've been getting, I I want to say one of the gods that we saw was Bess, which is who's supposed to be in the Black Panther 2 sequel. So um, if, th- if they're doing it this way, then I think we kind of get our answer as to how Black Panther will be chosen now. Since if obviously, since we remember the first season, Killmonger burned the herbs. So um, here, maybe the Black Panther now is similar to like, will be similar to Mark, uh, Stephen, and Moon Knight, where the god of the Black Panther chooses an avatar. So I thought that was kind of um, interesting. Also, in episode three, the kid that the one of the mercenaries in the beginning of the episode I, I was looking up has a jacket that um, can be traced back to Kang because um, in the comics, Kang had traveled to Egypt and was like a pharaoh. And one of the kid, one of the kids who had the, who was wearing a jacket had that symbol on there. So then there's a Kang connection. So it seems like Moon Knight is going to be delving a lot and we're going to be start getting clues as to the future of the MCU. And, and it goes to show where Disney plus and Marvel has told us that these shows are going to be important to the grander scheme of the universe. Oh, absolutely. And not just the future, like you said, but we're also learning a lot about the history of the MCU. I mean, I think technically in episode four, we found out who the first anti-hero in the MCU ever was that was born on earth. And that would be Alexander the great. Cause if Alexander the great was the avatar at one point, um, all accounts, he was kind of an asshole historically um, from what I understand. So he probably wouldn't have been like a good hero, like Iron Man. He's probably more like a daredevil type character, not daredevil, um, Deadpool, excuse me. But you were learning a lot about the history. We did that with the Eternals too. And I think we're going to continue to see stuff like that. That's going to continue to make this world even bigger than it already is which is absolutely insane, if you ask me. Yeah, and I think that Moon Knight is going to be connected to the MCU in a much bigger way. We do have Thor Love and Thunder coming up, which we'll talk about in the show a little bit later, but we have Thor Love and Thunder coming up in July, and the main villain of that movie is Gore the God Butcher. So I think that possibly we will see a a Mark Spector or a Conchu or some of the gods introduced here into that movie based on that character's vendetta against all things powerful. So I think we're going to see the seeds of that in the next two episodes, the last two episodes. But yeah, everything about this series I've loved so far, it's only getting better every single episode. And I really love the horror aspects of episode four, especially when they're in Alexander the Great's tomb, and then you have that monster hunting down Layla and Mark. I thought that was great as well. Absolutely. Let's talk about other great scenes, and 
let's just name our favorite scene from these two episodes, even though I'm pretty sure I know where we're all going to pick, right? Well, we tried that yesterday with Coda, and we did not <laughs> pick everything on the same page. But my favorite episode is going to be episode three. And like I mentioned earlier, it's when they're on the, the island of, of uh, Gaspar Uliel's character, who becomes the dark man in the comics, and they're stealing the shroud from the tomb. That's the best fight sequence in the entire series is when Mark turns into Moon Knight and he's straight up stabbing people with uh, staffs. And then you get you got the dark man trying to take him out by jousting him and Mark takes him down. That's my favorite scene of these two episodes. Yeah, my favorite my my favorite scene is probably going to come from episode four. And again, the trippy I'm going to go with the the hospital scene where Mark finally meets up with Steven and their, their embrace. It's almost like these two are, are finally starting to click. Um, and now they're trying to escape. And again, that whole scene was just Easter egg upon Easter egg. We got the sarcophagus, the sarcophagus where someone else was banging on it. Going back to earlier when I was saying that, I think that's Jake Lockley, the third identity in Moon Knight. We we found all the people that were patients in the hospital had some connection to Mark or Stephen. Uh, Layla was also in the hospital as well. Um, that yeah, episode four, the the hospital scene was my favorite. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I'm gonna actually cheat and just say the entire second half of that episode, like as soon as he's in the hospital to the end. Because I think that was the beginning of the second arc of this show. I think the first arc was trying to show us how different um, Stephen and Mark were from a, from each other. You know, one's a passive, one's definitely going to go out and try to fight and kill everybody. The other one just wants you to, like, be nice and stay home and doesn't want to be this thing at night that he is. Um, but this fourth episode, we really saw them becoming one. We saw the fact that, like, yes, he still loves his wife, so he, he kissed her. He saw even whenever um, Mark addresses Stephen with it, he ta- he says it with respect, like you know, like you kissed her, but you also did something I could never do and tell her what she needed to know. So you get that respect, and then you get the same shared experience and um, in the hospital. So it's all this stuff. So I think we're finally learning. This is going to be this arc where it's showing that it's not just three different people, two different people. It's three people come together as one to be this hero because we're going to have to get um, Jake Lockley out of that um, sarcophagus in the next episode, right? Yeah, with two episodes to go, Jake is definitely coming out. And based on what I've read up on the comics, I I can't wait to see him because he's supposed to be the most brutal of all the personalities, even more brutal than Mark. So how he fits into the story is going to be very interesting to see. Just the end of that whole sequence when the hippo god shows up, that was crazy that was like the trippiest part of the episode i thought is when this random hippo god shows up and then where do we go from here you want to know something funny you've seen that hippo in this in this show really in the first episode in the first like 20 minutes when mark is talking with his boss in that break room area and he's trying to like pick apart all the different things that are wrong in the box next is one of the posters is a whole bunch of those hippo toys it's it's a toy Man, and then they had the alligator in there too, which is yeah. Ahmed. So yeah, I and um, I also have a little bit of a conspiracy. I think the reason Jake Lockley has been locked up, and the reason 
Mark and Steven don't talk about him is because he's the friend, he's the mercenary that killed his wife's dad. And I think yeah, we're going to find I, out. Yeah, and um, they've also kind of hinted at him because I believe in episode three when there was one of those fight scenes, both Mark and Steven said that that wasn't me that did it. So we, yeah, we we have been getting towards this point. And like Jeff said, I'm kind of excited to see him unveiled. Obviously we know it's Oscar Isaac. It's not a different character. I mean, not a different actor, but um, just to see how this new person could interact with Mark and Steven and especially going towards um, Marvel, because they said that this show was going to be brutal. So I would just like to see one brutal scene. Just let it go. Yeah, because other than the scene Jeff talked about in episode three, which was great, it's been very tame. It's been more of a um, a mind, I guess a, a mind thriller. Is that the word to call it? I don't even, not even sure. But like, um, and then like, I was, I had a lot of hopes for that cave whenever she was fighting the, um, the thing. I'm just not entirely sure the blueprint of that cave tomb and for some reason that bothered the absolute hell out of me um but i know eric talked about a scene that really bothered him one that i actually hated was the three and a half minute conversation they had after they had got the um what's it called the doll out of alexander the great one that like they should have had while they were running away before the bad guys came and shot them I mean, to me, it just felt like one of those waste of times, like the classic TV things where it's just, oh, we need to have a reason for them to stick behind. But um, what did you, what did you guys think? Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, you're talking about um, Mark and Layla, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark and Layla yeah, talking. Yeah. yeah, the whole like. Yeah, I, I definitely felt that too. I was like, all right, come on. We know like, j- j- come on, get you don't have to do this. You just get to it. Like, we understand like. X, Y, and Z is about to happen. So just just speed it up. But I definitely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, it was just, they, they turned her character into something she's not because it just seemed very uncharacteristic for the Layla that we know so far through this show to lose her cool like that. She seems very calm, collected, and ready to deal with this kind of stuff. So especially when she just stopped and lost, it was like, no, we're having this conversation now. When she just came from the spot where she knows Hera was. so. To me, that was just a little bothersome. I do want to see that scene, though, because we've only been hinted at it or other characters have told us about the the scene in the tomb where Mark finally does meet Conchu and he becomes Moon Knight. I really hope we do get that before the series is over because that's like the most iconic part of the character. So I'm really hoping the next two episodes put that in front of us. Yeah, yeah. My, I'm predicting that like the next episode is them having to deal with the fact that they need Jake Lockley to get out of that mental hospital, to get out of their own head. And once they get out, they have to go get Conchu. And that's probably when we'll get that scene. But I don't think that'll be to the end right before the climax. Um, Marvel so far has proven it will wait till the last second in these shows. Um, I mean, it did it with Captain America and the Winter Soldier when they didn't have Sam put, um, put on the, the costume until what the, the final battle. Yeah, that yeah, that that's correct. But uh, honestly, um, I I know I've I've looked online. There something crazy happens with the with Jake, Stephen, and Mark. They end up, I guess, in the comics. I please let me know if I'm wrong. Our, our listeners, if they listen to this, 
podcast. Let me know if I'm wrong. Um, I saw somewhere where they all eventually kill Conchu and they just become Moon Knight. So I'm, I wonder if that would happen here towards the end where it's just like, you know what? We don't need this guy. We know we got, we got the powers. Um, so I, that, that's what I'm kind of interested in seeing. That definitely would be interesting. But let's talk about our actors real quick. Cause Oscar Isaacs, I think deserves awards for what he's doing right now. He's doing a lot of work. He's about to be three characters. Um, Really four, I guess, if you count Moon Knight. But well, how, who who is your MVP for the show when it comes to the actors? I mean, Oscar Isaac would be up there, and I think Layla needs to be up there too, because that that is one of the best written female characters we've had in the MCU. She does give you like kind of uh, Rachel Vise vibes from the Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser, and I like that about her. I would say those two are my top. Yeah, Oscar Isaac, I mean, he's going to get top billing because, I mean, he's Moon Knight. But what Ethan Hawke is doing as Harrow is equal parts terrifying and equal parts just he's so damn good. He's got to be, I mean, he's obviously, I think, the best villain so far in the Disney Plus series. And if we're looking at it, he he reminds me of um Zemo he didn't have like the power he didn't have the powers but he can just do so much with what he has and I mean obviously he has that staff and the scales but just his words his 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 presence like it's kind of terrifying so I think Oscar I'll go Oscar Isaac and Layla as well Oh yeah, absolutely. I I love Ethan Hawke with that. Um, my bad, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, no, no, I was like, wait, did I say the wrong? No, but um, I I do love Ethan Hawke in this. Like you said, like I I think I was watching it yesterday when he shot um when he shot Mark. I was like, damn, this really is one of the scarier non alien non super villain villains we've had in the MCU. And I mean. You, I mean, you, of course, you've had scary ones. Thanos was kind of terrifying, too, in the sense of a big guy who can just wipe out his, um, this half of existence. Um, but then even Green Goblin, all those guys, they all have powers. And this guy, like, he has that one power and a staff, but he doesn't really use it. He uses, like, just the fact that he's a terrifying, creepy human and someone who knows how people work. Um, he reminds me of a cult leader which is really what he is, but like, he's really portraying that well, like a real cult leader who he is charismatic and knows how to pull the right heartstrings to get you to do the move that he wants you to make. Um, even if he has the bigger gun, he's not going to use it. He's going to use his brain instead. If I, I may be wrong, but I think Ethan Hawke said he took his inspiration for Arthur Harrow from uh, David Koresh and, there, if you guys watch Waco on Netflix, yeah, that that that's a great show, and kind of gets you to the mind of who David Koresh was, and um, I could kind of see it in um, Harrow. It's a very interesting point. So let's get on to our final rankings for this, um, the last two episodes, and see if it's gotten any better from the first two that we had um, before we head into Thor. So for me, I think this is still a Hall of Fame ranking show. It's a great show. 
Um, it's got me on the edge of my seats and saying, what the hell? Um, I can tell you right now, I feel exactly like superhero Mark Spector feels confused as shit. And I think that makes for a great show. What about y'all? I would say it's it's teetering on Hall of Fame for me. It's probably about at an all-star right now with these Disney Plus shows. As you guys know, they have trouble sticking the landing at the end. So I'm hoping this one does. But what this show has done for me, what the other shows haven't done is it, this has made me go want to go out and buy Moon Knight comics and learn more about this character. So, you know, kudos to the writers and everything. They really, really have my attention here. I'm going to have a cop out and say, because this is where just on, we just finished episode four and there's five and six. And Jeff, you made a very important point. Uh, some of these Disney plus shows have had trouble sticking the landing. I'm going to go incomplete for right now. That's that's fair. That's fair. I just I I think the reason why some of these Disney Plus shows have um fallen flat on the last episodes is not that the episodes were terrible. I think it's that they came with such high expectations. Um in the sense of like imagine if we all went to go see um No Way Home and none of the other Spider-Man showed up. Um it would still have been a good movie with those villains the way they were made and everything but would have been a lot different of a movie, I think. Um, <clears throat> so I think with this one, with Moon Knight being a lesser known character, one that doesn't have exposure like recent with um, Hawkeye having recent exposure, WandaVision have, Wanda having recent exposure, both Captain and Bucky having recent exposure, where you have expectations to where we all think it's going. I think this one may be a little different. And I do, I mean, th- maybe this is me having too high expectations right now. But I think we've probably talked enough about that. Let's talk about Thor. Love and Thunder, the trailer dropped recently. I know Jeff loved it, and he loves the poster, apparently. The poster has everything going for it that I like. If you've looked at our logo for box office QBs, it's blue and pink and like very, very loud. And that's what the Thor Love and Thunder poster was, and that's why I loved it so much. But the trailer, while not giving much away, just felt different when it comes to the MCU. And I know... Every MCU project that comes out, people are like, oh, well, this is different than what we've seen before. This one, I don't know. It feels like a guy finding himself going on a journey or something like that. And I really dug the vibe of the entire trailer. Yeah, um, I I did, too. At first, I was just like, this trailer really didn't show anything. But um, I, I mean, at the end, it showed Jane Foster or a Jane Foster that we think. Ha ha ha! But we knew that was gonna. We knew Jane Foster was gonna be in it. We knew she was gonna be the Mighty Thor. So I mean, at that wasn't really too big of a surprise for me at the end. But um, uh, and I remember us texting uh, Gerald. You made a very good point about how this could possibly be a different variant. But the vibe of this trailer and this movie in general. There hasn't been that much of a buzz. Uh, there, there hasn't been that much of promotional material, obviously, because Doctor Strange 2 is the one that's another big um, big and important movie in the MCU. So Thor Love and Thunder, to me, kind of feels like how Spider-Man Far From Home was after Endgame. So this might be a palate cleanser. It might not. But all I know is 
even though I don't think it's going to happen because Chris Hemsworth said that he will play Thor as long as Marvel the in the MCU and Marvel Studios will allow it, and he's not going the way of like Robert Downey Jr. saying I'm done or Chris Evans saying I'm done. I I want Thor to die, but it's not going to happen. So uh, I'm just it, we're going to have to wait until Doctor Strange two comes out before we start to get more information about Thor. This guy goes, I want Thor to die. <laughs> Um, no, but I want to talk about the uh, Jane Foster thing here in a minute because I know Jeff has a pretty deep knowledge of it from what we were texting, um, at least deeper than I. Um, but I did actually go do some in like some research of my own on Gore the God Butcher, the villain in this movie who did not make an appearance in the minute and a half long trailer. And I have learned that I believe the trailer was made that way specifically because of Gore the God Butcher's backstory, um, which a briefed version is um, he is an alien who grew up with a really tough life. Like shit always happened to him. And he always blamed the gods because the gods, um, instead of helping when he asked for help or praying or whatever, they just were up there partying, sleeping with anybody they wanted, doing whatever the hell they wanted. So hence turning him into a serial unaliver and walking around just murdering gods because they like to have fun. And what do we see in this trailer? We see a God giving up and saying, I don't care about my power. I just want to be better for myself and find myself. We see a little bit of um, Zeus who is just having the time of his freaking life. And then the tag of the trailer talks about how no, like not every God has a plan. Something that would inherently piss Gore the God Butcher off. I don't think we saw Gore the God Butcher in this because it's meant to be like a, oh, this is exactly why Gore the God Butcher is doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think Zeus is going to die pretty early in this movie. Russell Crowe is playing Zeus, and I don't think they could really lock him down for a big commitment. So he's going to be dead in the first 30 minutes of this movie. I'm calling it now. And <laughs> going to support Eric's point uh, of Thor dying, if Thor is going to die in any of these movies, it would be this one where there is a character called Gore the God Butcher. It is a perfect setup to set up Jane Foster to be the Thor of the new MCU. I don't know if it'll happen, but the the wheels are in motion. Let's just say that. I hope not because I really like Chris Hemsworth. He's definitely a, a different Thor than what we saw in the very first uh, MCU adventure that he was in. So I, I would like to see him continue on in this role. Yeah, yeah. I love Chris Hemsworth. Um, the thing I love about him is it seems like he genuinely loves playing Thor. Like, he just enjoys the hell out of it, especially the last few few times since the Dark World. He just, it seems like it's like his baby, and he just wants to be around it forever. And if they continue to make good movies, like, as long as the movies are like, you know, when he was in Endgame, or um, the Ragnarok, and maybe what this one looks like it could be, I don't have a problem with him keep going. Now, I mean, don't make it obvious that you're milking a dead horse, right? But a few more. If the guy's loving it and they're producing great ones, I'm all for it. But Jeff, I thought the Jane Foster that we saw may have been an alternate variant, kind of like how we got variants um, of Loki in the Loki show. But you brought up a good point. Yeah, so in the comics, Jane Foster is stricken with cancer. And she's dying, and the thing that saves her is she becomes worthy, and she gets Thor's hammer and becomes the mighty Thor, and that 
keeps the cancer at bay. Uh, how I think the MCU can do this is going all the way back to Thor, the dark world, which is everybody's least favorite movie in the MCU, but it's becoming more relevant as the years go on. Jane is infected by the ether in Thor, the dark world. And I think in this version of the story, that could be the thing that causes the cancer uh, to spread. And then that's how I think uh, her becoming Thor comes into play. And that's just my theory. Jeff, you're right. Um, Thor, we've seen the MCU make the movies that we thought were terrible, more important. Like, um, like if they go that route, they would made, they would have made, Thor the Dark World more important. We've seen them make Age of Ultron more important, and a lot of people say that that's probably the worst Avengers movie. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's the route they go. And on top of that, um, we could all be happy here because I think with um, with the knowledge of what Jeff was telling me and a little bit of research and gore, the God Butcher, from what I also, a little bit I looked into Jane Foster, the reason why she um gore the god butcher won't kill her is because whenever she uses the the hammer when she becomes thor she doesn't die of cancer and it, while instead of sitting back and enjoying her life and doing nothing because she's not dying she was going out and saving people making her truly worthy of being a god so that could be another thing we see um as you said so gore does kill the actual thor leaving jane foster thor to survive because she's worthy it's all set up this, but we're all, all talking a lot because we all know that the MCU with these trailers, we see something and then it's completely different than what we, it's just like we, we were all wrong, you know. I will never forgive the MCU for giving us that trailer in Infinity War where everybody was running in Wakanda <laughs> and that scene never happened. Oh, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Never forgive them. Uh, I love it. Yeah, the MCU has done some crazy things. I, I'll never forgive them for trying to pass off the um, Spider-Man scene where they have the villains jumping at Spider-Man and they digitally erase the other two. Like, trying to pass that off as if we were that dumb, that that, that bothered yeah. me. That hurt me a little bit, MCU. The, the lizard got kicked in the face by a ghost. Uh, that is my favorite trailer of all time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even fix that part. They left him getting punched. But <laughs> other than that, but other like, do y'all have anything else to say about this trailer? I know we've already talked a lot about it. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I it's move. It's moving up my most anticipated list. I will say that. Shout out King Valkyrie. Shout out King Valkyrie. Indeed. I'm excited to see what the hell she does. She looks she looks like someone I'd be terrified of. And we didn't even touch on the Guardians. How much of a role do you think that they'll have? See, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't, know. I don't feel like it's going to be a lot. I feel like that was him saying goodbye to them. Like, I feel like we're going to see a quick mission and it might be the one to see um, Zeus. And then he's like, I'm done superheroing. Screw this. And then he goes and he tries to fix himself. Yeah. I think the guardians will be gone within probably the first 15 minutes. I think we'll probably open on them and Thor on the same team. And then, you saw them saying goodbye in the trailer, like Gerald said, and I think that's going to be it. Because you would you would think that the third Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, we didn't see. Obviously, there was no Gamora, so maybe they were on. They go on their quest, but who knows? <laughs> it, everybody on Twitter was like, "Oh, my face!" When I realized Gamora wasn't there for a reason. 
<laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That hurts. But um, other than that, I think that's about all we have on this one. I know, actually, Jeff, I don't know if you want to talk about it. You, you're reviewing a, a show that's pretty close to home, huh? Yeah, so I wrote a little something on Better Call Saul. Uh, season 6 finally premiered earlier this week at this recording. But just being transported back into that world, and it's a world I know very well, being from New Mexico and everything, uh, the, these characters are on a dark path. Let's just say that. I won't spoil it, but my little brief review that I wrote about the character Kim Wexler is on the review board. Uh, Gerald's also put some articles up there as well on Fantastic Beasts. Uh, it's new on our website, boxofficeqbs.com, and you can check it out at any time. Absolutely. And don't forget to follow us on all social media. That's at box office QBs every time. Just it's pretty easy to find. You won't miss it. Like Jeff said, we have a loud logo, so it's pretty easy to do that. Also, make sure you like and subscribe, follow all that good stuff on Apple Pod and whatever the hell you're listening to today. This has been an episode of Nerd Shit. I'm Gerald for Jeff and Eric. Talk to you all later.